You are listening to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton. We are here on the America Out Loud Network. We talk about everything law enforcement here, and today is going to be kind of a special day because we're not going to have a guest because I have a lot to say. Yeah, I know that'll shock you, but we do. I got a lot to say today. So we're just going to take a walk into the briefing room where I'm going to give you my view from the blue for a long, long time. Let's start off with what is happening in Louisville, Kentucky. Well, if you if you haven't been living under a rock, you know about the Breonna Taylor case. Let's talk about this situation. It's a tragic death, but yet one that that is not what it is being told to be. Lexington, Kentucky. Narcotics investigation taking place over a period of time. Detectives were uh, watching and uh, investigating a subject for selling trafficking narcotics. Well, this individual, um, they, they were doing a very complete investigation, including um, cameras that were posted on telephone poles, electronic surveillance, visual surveillance, uh, the, the whole bit. And the subject of the investigation was a guy named Glover. Glover is a known narcotics dealer. Well, he had a relationship with a woman named Brianna Taylor. Uh, the, the nature of the relationship at one time was boyfriend-girlfriend. And at the time of her death, it is really unclear exactly what the nature of that relationship was. According to the long-term investigation notes, and those notes that led to search warrants being uh, being issued for a number of residences, including the Brianna Taylor residence, along with the Glover residence, which was in a different location, there was a lot of narcotics activity taking place. Now, Brianna Taylor, by all accounts, was not a hardened criminal. But also, according to the investigation, uh, she had a relationship with this drug dealer, Glover, And after the end of that personal relationship or that uh, relationship that included boyfriend-girlfriend, she now had uh, another individual she was seeing who apparently was uh, not related in any way, shape, or form to Glover. But there was indication that she was working with Glover. And there was including uh, uh, overheard uh, or tapped phone calls uh, from Glover referring to Brown Taylor as handling his money. And there was surveillance where he was picking up packages at her house that were being delivered to her house that uh, narcotics detectives thought were drugs. There was a lot of interaction between the two of them. So narcotics detectives obtained a number of search warrants, including the search warrants was Brown Taylor's house. Now, there's been a lot said here about the, quote, no-knock search warrant, unquote. 
Let me explain what a no-knock search warrant is because it, this is a very misunderstood uh, frame of reference. When, when law enforcement has a, a belief that the individuals that are in the home or residence or house or building that they are getting a search warrant for are armed or there may be um, fortifications that would inhibit the way that they get into the residence, they ask the judge for what's called a no-knock clause. See, the law believes that, that a person's home is their castle, and it is a very, um, it's a very intrusive thing to get a search warrant for someone's home. You have to have pretty good probable cause to get into that house written by a judge's authorization. Well, if a, if a detective can um, uh, put out into the into into the the search warrant affidavit belief that there would be endangerment to the police if they have to knock and announce. That means knock on the door and say, "Police, search warrant, open the door." and then wait a prescribed period of time for the, them to do that. If they believe that there is a possibility that they might retrieve a firearm and open fire, then they would ask for a no-knock warrant. That is exactly what happened in this case. They had a no-knock warrant for the residence of Breonna Taylor. Now keep in mind, this is involving several different locations. So this isn't simply Breonna Taylor's house. This is, this is a, a combined raid, if you will, of a number of different locations because it's a fairly involved narcotics conspiracy. When the officers go to Breonna Taylor's house, even though they have a no-knock clause, which means they can just kick in the door, they don't. They do a knock and announce. Now, at first, if, if you listen to some of the, if you listen to, to <laughs> not some, most of the media, you will come to believe that they just kicked the door in and they never announced themselves. The facts are different. The fact is that the officers did knock on the door. They did announce themselves and they said police search warrant a number of times. This is backed up by an investigation that heard witnesses um, that had witnesses that heard that. So the no knock clause was not utilized. They actually did a knock and announce. Well, when they did knock and announce, they then forced the door because no one came to the door. And they forced the door with a battering ram. As they did so, the boyfriend of Breonna Taylor retrieved a handgun. And according to him, he didn't know who was breaking in the door. And he asked, who's there, who's there? And he says he never got a response. Now, this is where credibility comes in. You don't know quite who uh, or how to believe what you are being told. But in any event, he says he didn't hear it. And then he opened fire with his pistol, striking one of the officers that was entering the house. So now you have a uh, search warrant. You have officers making entry legally. You have them announcing themselves as police, and then you have one of them shot 
in the doorway as he's coming in. The officer who got shot and the person, the other officer next to him, opened fire where the gunshots came from. Now, there was another officer who was outside and he heard the gunshots. And when he heard his uh, partners open fire, he opened fire as well. Now, here's where this is a this is a situation that, that has a lot of nuance. A police officer is responsible for the rounds that they fire. You're supposed to know your target. You're supposed to know your backdrop. You're supposed to know where those bullets are going to hit when you open fire. The officers who had one who had been shot, the other who was rescuing him, opened fire in the area where they had where they had received fire from. Now those rounds, um, several of them, five of them to be exact, hit Brianna Taylor, who was apparently right next to her boyfriend who opened fire. And she was subsequently killed. The officer who opened fire from outside hit a neighboring apartment and several bullets went into that apartment. What we have here now is the tragic death of a woman. Um, even if she was involved in the narcotics conspiracy, which still needs to be sorted out. But we had a, a, an individual who opened fire on police who had a valid search warrant. The officers opened fire in return and she was subsequently killed. This is a tragic set of circumstances. But once again, we have a situation here where law enforcement is responding with gunfire against gunfire. There is no issues, or at least there should be no issues, with the fact that police can uh, defend themselves when they are receiving Gunfire. The subsequent investigation revealed that the officers had a legal search warrant, that uh, the, um, at the, the, sub, the, uh, the other search warrant that was being done at the uh, old boyfriend's house, Glover, did in fact result in seizures of narcotics. So there's smoke where there is this, or there's flame where there is this smoke. Now, when she got shot, I guess I, I maybe should have mentioned the fact that the officers were white and Breonna Taylor was black. The protests began immediately and devolved into violence and riots leading to other shootings and stabbings and, and deaths. Louisville was aflame. And you heard this cry everywhere that the police had shot an innocent woman in a no-knock warrant. And then the rumor mill said that they were in the wrong house. 
that she never should have been shot, that the, the search warrant was uh, improper, that uh, there was, because of the no-knock clause, the, the, the rabid police just came in shooting. Of course, that narrative, it doesn't matter whether it's true or not, is the one that took hold. And it resulted in more hatred, more, more of, the, of the social narrative about racist policing. And it led to more violence. The facts didn't seem to matter. And of course, once again, we were faced with the social narrative. Well, in the last day or so, a grand jury was impaneled. Now, the grand jury is impaneled to make a determination if there was any criminal activity by the officers involved. That's, that was the sole reason that this grand jury um, uh, was impaneled. Now, they, have, of course, have access to everything. When, when I, as, as, a, as a law enforcement um, commentator, and, I, and, I, and I, always, I always talk about this, and that is you cannot make a determination about what took place until an investigation is complete. Even with, with 10 seconds or 15 seconds or a minute of video, you can't draw a legitimate conclusion unless you have all the facts. So the grand jury was given the facts. They were given all of the information about the investigation, about the conduct of, of everybody involved, the ballistic tests, the, um, from, from beginning to end, they were given the information. No one else had that information, okay? Th this was not something that you put out into a public forum. This is something that, uh, that the criminal justice system uh, uses in order to come to conclusions about making serious criminal charges. So the grand jury gets all of the information. And in this highly anticipated um, verdict, if you will, there is there is this this tense um, feeling all over all over the country, especially in um, in Kentucky, in Louisville, where they're waiting to hear what's going to happen. And of course, even before there's any verdict, the um, the race baiters and the and the agenda driven politicians and the media and those who have a a social agenda to push forward, are screaming for justice for Brianna and, and uh, uh, talking about um, her innocence and that the police were, you know, did all of these, these horrible things, that they were in the wrong place, that they, they shot a woman because she was black and, and really ginning up the hatred. And Many in, in that arena were talking about if they do not arrest the officers, um, that there, there should be riots. Burn it down is what they're saying. 
I shouldn't also tell you this, though. This is important. Just a week ago, a, a settlement was reached between the family of Brown and Taylor and the city, um, and that was an astounding $12 million settlement against the city that uh, the city settled with the family um, saying that, you know what, this was a wrongful death. That's a, that's a huge amount of money. I think it was the largest settlement in recent history. So now, after this settlement is announced and, and uh, the lawyers for the for the Breonna Taylor family are, you know, all over the, the news and are talking about, well, now we have to arrest all the cops involved. And uh, the verdict came out. The three officers, the two officers who were uh, involved in the shooting of Breonna Taylor, who actually shot and killed her, uh, were found to be justified in their shooting. They were justified because they were returning gunfire. And as they were returning gunfire, the fact that Breonna Taylor happened to be right there next to the shooter and she was inadvertently struck um, does not go to the evidence of criminal conduct by the police. Now, like I said, is this, is this a tragic set of circumstances? Hell yeah, it is. This shouldn't have happened. And it shouldn't have happened for a number of reasons. But one of the major reasons is that um, the activity that brought the police there was of a felonious nature. They didn't just they didn't just kick in the door for the hell of it. They did a painstaking investigation which which gave probable cause to them. They did all the right moves. They got the search warrant. They had the judges a permission to make entry, even to make entry without knocking and announcing. Now here's where I want to go with this. The officers decided to knock and announce. That means knock on the door, say, police, we have a search warrant, open the door. And then they, they uh, hit it with a, a ram. But they gave that announcement, they gave that knock, which gave <clears throat> the boyfriend of Breonna Taylor the time to arm himself and then open fire, which is exactly what the no-knock warrant is designed to prevent. So in the in the interests of trying to uh, go the extra mile, these officers actually did knock and announce, and it did afford the opportunity for the, the uh, boyfriend of Breonna Taylor to retrieve a firearm, and exactly the, the nightmare scenario that they're trying to avoid. They wind up opening fire in defense of themselves, one of the officers was hit with gunfire. They have every right to shoot back. And it's a damn shame that Breonna Taylor was there when those bullets were coming down range. So a, a civil settlement of $12 million. Grand jury is impaneled. 
and they decide that the, the one officer who opened fire without having the proper targeting struck an apartment with three innocents in it, and so they charged him with a reckless endangerment type of charge. Nothing to do with Breonna Taylor. Well, when this was announced, it wasn't but hours before unrest began. Now, we're still in the early stages of this as I record this show. We don't know where it's going to go, although I can pretty much forecast it. The Louisville Police Department and the governor have taken all the proper precautions. They've called in the National Guard. They've created a state of emergency. They have called a curfew, giving law enforcement and the National Guard the tools they need to hopefully keep the streets somewhat under control because there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that the people who want to use this for their own political purposes, their own social agenda, are going to incite violence, are going to instigate violence. They're going to, quote, burn it down, unquote. As this nation teeters on literally the brink of anarchy in many of our cities, this is about the last thing that we need in this country. And if you were to take this set of circumstances and give this, this entire uh, scenario to people who are calm and want to hear what the facts are, like those people on the grand jury, you would probably get exactly the same verdict. The truth doesn't really enter into the narrative here. For the war on America's cities and claims of racism in the ranks of law enforcement have spirited a renewed debate on racial equality. It was Alexis de Tocqueville who reminded us, Americans are so enamored of equality. They would rather be equal in slavery than unequal in freedom. To which I say, be warned of the shiny object, America. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Well, it's a fight for the soul of humanity. I know we were a little disappointed because we've had to push back the Brothers in Blue Bash for a few months because of the COVID insanity. Now, on October 17th, we are still going to have a virtual Brothers in Blue Bash, kind of like a tease, and we're going to uh, raise some money. We're going to have some tremendous auction items. So uh, uh, stay listening to uh, this and go to the Facebook page, Brothers in Blue Bash Las Vegas, and get the information there. Now, March 27th, 
That is a Saturday night here in Las Vegas. The Brothers in Blue Bash, which is going to be the largest celebration of law enforcement, unity, and pride to benefit the Wounded Blue. It's going to be right here in Las Vegas. Got some tremendous, tremendous entertainment lined up for you. There's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a, an event to remember. Fantastic hotel room uh, prices at the Orleans. Just go to the Brothers in Blue Bash uh, Facebook page, and you can uh, make your um, make your reservations there. You can get a table, you can get seats, you can sponsor all kinds of things. Check it out. Facebook page, Brothers in Blue Bash, Las Vegas. I don't know about you, but if you love coffee, you're going to love Law Dog Coffee. Law Dog Coffee Company. Yes, indeedy. This is amazing coffee. It's been uh, in the family of uh, uh, brewers for 90 years, but this particular brand is is uh, created just for us. So if you love coffee, you're going to love Law Dog Coffee, especially because not only is it phenomenal coffee, it's, it's uh, uh, roasted in a, in a family-owned roasting company. It's been around for 90 years, and it is delicious, but it also goes to help the uh, the company, Law Dog Coffee Company, gives a percentage of its income to thewoundedblue.org. In fact, they sponsor the Canine Companion Program for the Wounded Blue. So go to lawdogcoffee.com. It gets delivered directly to your house. It is phenomenal, and it tastes so good, it ought to be illegal. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Never let the truth get in the way of a good narrative when you're with the media or you're with agenda-driven politicians or lawyers that want to push the narrative. The lawyers for this, uh, for Breonna Taylor's family, they're not satisfied with getting $12 million. They came out with this um, really a, this scathing, factual, uh, well, what they call factual, which was in fact quite the opposite um, report that basically said that everything that the grand jury heard was lies. Now, you know, you hear the words accountability for the police the police got to be accountable i've never seen people more accountable than the police and this is a perfect example of that this is was an exhaustive investigation 
given to a grand jury to make a decision, not a prosecutor, not someone who had uh, one single uh, voice that could that could make a determination, as happens in many places, but a grand jury made up of the peers of the people who live in Louisville. This is the American justice system. But it seems that if the system does not give the desired outcome to those who are pushing the agendas of anti-law enforcement, of, uh, of uh, hatred against cops, of the narrative of the racist police are actively hunting down young black people to kill, then they don't want to hear the truth. We as Americans have a choice to make now. You can choose to understand the system in which we live and work within it. And by all means, you, you, as a 34-year cop, you're not going to hear me say that the criminal justice system works all the time. It doesn't. I've seen more injustice than I can even begin to tell you about. Now, most of that injustice is about criminals, hardened criminals, violent criminals, getting away with their crimes. But does it always work in every situation? Of course not. But it's a system. And it's the best in the world as far as I know. If you want to break that system down, which is exactly what Black Lives Matter and Antifa and other social justice quote-unquote groups are espousing, you tear down the very nature of what this country is all about. And that's about fair and impartial justice. As I said, does it always work? No. Can it have improvement? Yes. But as sure as hell is better than facing the mob that we're facing now, that law enforcement is facing now, all over the country, in Portland, in Seattle, in Colorado in places, in New York City, in Minneapolis, Texas. Our system of justice is designed to be fair and impartial. While it can maintain improvement, it is one that has stood the test of time for hundreds of years. Being judged by your peers. Now I know that there's been a call for justice reform, unquote. Quote, unquote, I should say. Justice reform. By everybody from the a goofy mayor in New York to the city council in Seattle to the district attorney in Portland and many other areas. But America, America is a place like no other. And the resiliency of our people has to be part of what 
maintains this nation. If we as a people resort to mob justice, mob violence, as we have seen happen in Chicago and Minneapolis and Portland, Seattle and New York, then we are devolving into a nation of, of tribal violence and tribal upheaval. We're better than that. We have to be better than that. And if we are not, we are going to, well, we're going to destroy ourselves. Now, who's standing, who's standing the line? It's the police. All of these horrendous accusations being hurled at the police from, from, from these um, political figures, including the guy who's running for, for president, uh, Biden, who, who is as, as anti-law enforcement as they come now, talking about defunding the cops. Kamala Harris, she wouldn't even, she wouldn't even talk to the L.A. detective, the L.A. deputies, because uh, who were who were shot in, a, in an assassination attempt. Uh, she refused to even uh, uh, make contact with them. I can't imagine anything so disrespectful, so uncaring. But that's the facts. So you have politicians who are jumping on the anti-law enforcement bandwagon to pander for votes and get themselves elected. But you have many more people. You have athletes, these, these millionaire athletes, putting the names of people on their helmets who were killed by the police, but of course happened to be, oh, you know, murderers and and uh, drug dealers, and uh, rapists, uh, and those are the people that they're deifying. Well, I got news for you. When it comes down to it, the only people who are standing in the line are those few, those men and women who number just around 800,000 to police 340 million people in this country. They're the ones standing in the line. They're the ones who are actually, you know, here's the thing that really, that, that really gets me. You, you hear these politicians, you hear these uh, personalities and these actors and these actresses all calling out for social justice against the police. You hear the, the politicians, defund the police, defund the police. And you know, the, the reality is that the only people who really care about the minority communities is the police. That's the ultimate irony here, which I just find so incredible. Now, I, you know, here's the thing. I, I spent 34 years as a cop. And I spent a, a lot of my career policing minority communities by choice. Now, I didn't do that because I'm a racist and I wanted to uh, subjugate the people 
that I was that I was uh, uh, serving. No, I wanted to be there in order to protect the good people who are so underserved in that community from the people who would victimize them, the gang members, the criminals, the organized crime, uh, crime individuals who who um, target these neighborhoods. They're the most vulnerable people. And the cops who choose to police those areas, generally, and I'm saying generally because I don't know every cop in every area, but I, I do know thousands of cops across this nation. And I've had conversations with many. And I know what lies in their hearts and the reasons that they do what they do. And they choose to serve in communities. Believe me, it's a whole lot easier to, to work in a, in a community that you don't have any trouble in or you have little trouble in. I, I use Summerlin for an example in Vegas. It's a whole lot easier to police in Summerlin than it is to police in an area that has high crime because you're working your butt off in a high crime area. You're trying to solve crimes. You're trying to prevent crimes. You're trying to arrest people who would prey on others. And yet, these men and women who make the choice to serve in underserved areas are now being vilified and being painted with a brush of racism. And here's the ir irony. Here's another irony. Is that black cops who patrol black areas are subjected to more abuse than the white cops. It's astounding. They're called every name in the book. I can't tell you the number of black cops that came up to me after serving in, a, in an area that was mostly uh, predominantly black and so finally said to me, Sergeant, I, I got to get a transfer. I cannot deal with, with, with my own folks. It's just getting too much. You know, it takes a special person to want to police. We're seeing, we're seeing a diminishment in the recruitment of law enforcement officers. We're seeing a, a huge upsurge in those who are retiring at the very moment that they are eligible or not even waiting and quitting. This is a time when we could actually turn this into a watershed moment of positivity for this country. Do you want to Here's my opinion. Of course, this is my show, so I can give you my opinion, right? Here's where we can go with this. This is a moment when law enforcement is front and center in everybody's mind. There isn't a news story that that that, that takes place on the on the on the nightly news that doesn't include a police story, generally negative. There's tons of critics and, and experts who come out with some nonsensical social uh, reasoning for for uh, everything that's going on today. But here's what it really comes down to. Law enforcement has a job to do. What's that job? It's to stop crime, prevent crime, arrest violators. 
when you strip away all the other nonsense and all of the other uh, social uh, uh, activities that the cops are being that are foisted upon law enforcement, um, it really comes down to that. Cops are here to enforce the laws. They're here to create an environment that is as safe as possible for their communities through law enforcement. Now, cops have become social workers. Cops have become uh, a, a myriad of other things because they're stuck in a position where they're getting calls for everything. They're, they're marriage counselors at, at, at domestic disturbances. They're, they're mental health professionals when it comes down to people that are in mental health crisis. They're, they're, uh, they, they have to wear so many hats. And now, because of the, the, the social justice warriors and those politicians jumping on the anti-law enforcement back, uh, um, bandwagon, now they're being told, well, you know what? There are people that can do the job better than you. We need to put social workers in. Let's send social workers to some of these calls. I was watching a, a video the other day. It was a mental health call. A, a woman calling about uh, her son going crazy. And a police officer was walking up to the door because there's no one else to do it. And if you think that a social worker is going to do this, uh, you better get a reality crew or clue as the officer is walking up on the house the 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 guy who is going through a quote mental health crisis unquote who had by the way stabbed four people a week before um runs out of the house with a knife a butcher knife raised over his head trying to trying to stab the cop who runs and then has no alternative other than to shoot and kill the guy now if you listen to some of these absolutely moronic political figures who want to defund the police and put in alternatives, violence alternatives, I'm hearing some of the most nonsensical conclusions being drawn by some of these goofy politicians. If, if a social worker had walked up on that house, that social worker would look like uh, last Thanksgiving turkey all carved up. And and every cop knows this. Anybody with any common sense should know it. But either the, the politicians who are now flexing their their muscle at the uh, at the expense of law enforcement officers, either they don't know or they don't care, or they don't care to know. Because you put social workers into harm's way without a way to defend themselves, they're going to wind up dead. It's not an if, it's a when. How long will it take? So for all these goofy politicians who are putting forth these ridiculous uh, defund the police and let's put in social services. It's it's a joke. It's a it it should be laughable, but it's not. Because let me tell you who's going to wind up on the short end of this stick. It's going to be the people in the minority community. You know, 
a, a new poll just came out very recently. 80% of the American public believes in and supports their law enforcement officers, and it's almost the same thing in the minority communities. They don't want less cops. They want more cops. They want to be able to feel safe in their home. What happened in Baltimore, Baltimore is a, is a complete and utter, just, uh, 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 I don't even know if it, it can ever come back because of the mismanagement and the, and the dereliction of duty by the, by the politicians in, in Baltimore. They basically have, have just hogtied the cops into being able to do nothing. And, and so people who live in the, in, in the black community, who can't get out of it, who don't have the socioeconomic ways to leave, are stuck there. And they're asking for help. I've talked to Baltimore cops who tell me they're so frustrated because the people there are asking, please, please get these dope dealers off of the corner. Get these gang members off of the corner. Stop the violence. We can't walk out of our homes. And they want, the cops want to do something. <clears throat> and the cops can do something. Well, let me just put it this way. They could do something if the, if the leadership of the city and the police agency had the guts to do what they are called upon to do, which is protect the people of the city. They're not doing it. They, they have, they have, come to some weird crossroads where the politics is more important than the people. When politics becomes more important than people, we are a nation that is facing ruin. I can't tell you the morale of the American law enforcement officer today. I can't stress enough to you that it has declined to a point where cops are scared to even do their job. I mean, look at Minneapolis. This is a, this is a joke. Minneapolis votes to defund their cops, attacks them in, in every way, uh, tries to take their salaries away, um, uh, wants to, 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 um, end the entire police department and put in some, uh, I don't know, some, uh, it's going to be patrolled by unicorns or something. I don't know. And, uh, and so the, the police are leaving in droves. Hundreds of them are leaving. It's only got 800 and some cops. They've been underfunded for, for years. The crime rate in, in Minneapolis is astounding, right? So, the city council does everything to destroy the police, defund the police, dismantle the police. So suddenly, oh my goodness, what do you think is happening? Crime is through the roof. Murders are, are, are commonplace. Armed robberies, rape, sexual assaults, aggravated assaults. And now the city council is screaming, hey, where are the cops? They're not doing their job. Let's blame crime on the cops. I was watching some of these 
idiotic city council people screaming and blaming the police because crime is out of control in their city. And I just got to look at him and go, what planet do you live on? What kind of, what kind of human being are you that is so idiotic that you can't even look at yourself and say, hey, maybe I'm to blame here. Is there is there something in the water in Minneapolis that that uh, once you drink it, it disintegrates your IQ and you become so freaking stupid that the only thing that you can do is become a city council person? Is that is that what's going on? All I can say is the people of these cities where all of this insanity is taking place. Minneapolis, San Francisco, um, uh, Portland, Seattle, Austin, Texas. If you don't have the guts and the, and the smarts to stand up for yourselves and, and, and get leadership that has at least a modicum of common sense, well, you're going to get what you deserve. You're going to get eaten alive. And if you think that the predators that, that roam the streets, the criminals that not only don't care about any sense of, of type of societal conduct that's that's worth anything but actually revel and joy they get joy from destruction they get joy from hurting people they get joy from killing people if you think that these people do not exist you are living in a dreamland and let me tell you the only one the only person the only people that care enough about you and about understanding what these animals are capable of is your police. And if you don't stand up for them, if you don't have the guts to stand up for them, when they're willing to give their lives for you, well, you're worthless too. You heard it here first on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. Time to stand up, people. Get off your asses. Because blue lives do matter. One of the most important things that you can do as either a, a law enforcement officer or someone who supports law enforcement is to help injured and disabled officers. How? By simply going to this website, www.thewoundedblue.org. Thewoundedblue.org. And why should you do that? Well, first of all, because I founded the organization. Do you need any more than that, really? So this organization provides tremendous assistance and support to officers who've been injured either physically or emotionally in the line of duty. Uh, we have a phenomenal um, documentary film. If you go to Amazon.com and look at uh, The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. Also on uh, YouTube, if you go to our YouTube channel, Wounded Blue TV, 
check out our series, The Voices of the Blue. You want to do everything you can to help these men and women who sacrificed so much for their communities. Go to www.thewoundedblue.org. End of Watch with Randy Sutton. Each week here on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, we pay our respects to the men and women of the profession who have made the ultimate sacrifice and given their lives in the line of duty. We reached an unfortunate milestone this week. More than 200 law enforcement officers have now given their lives in the line of duty this year so far. Far more than happened last year. Allow me to read the names of those who have given their lives. Sergeant Myra Rodriguez Borgado of the Puerto Rico Police Department. Sergeant Myra Rodriguez Borgado died after contracting COVID-19 during a presumed exposure while on duty. Sergeant Rodriguez Borgado had served the Puerto Rico Police Department for 27 years, survived by her husband, two daughters, grandchild, mother, and brother. Sergeant Myra Rodriguez Borgado, Puerto Rico Police, end of watch Monday, August 31st, 2020. The next is Deputy Sheriff Angela Chavers of the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office in Florida. Deputy Sheriff Angela Chavers died after contracting COVID-19 during an outbreak among staff and inmates at the Maine Detention Center. Deputy Chavers has served with the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office for 18 years and was signed to the Inmate Management Division. She is survived by her son and niece. Deputy Sheriff Angela Chavers, Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office in Florida. End of watch, Saturday, September 12, 2020. And Deputy Sheriff Ryan Phillips Hendricks of the Henderson County Sheriff's Office in North Carolina. Deputy Sheriff Ryan Hendricks was shot and killed when he responded to a vehicle tampering and a shooting call in the area of Bethea Drive and Piney Drive in Mountain Home. A citizen called 911 at about 3 a.m. after discovering two subjects breaking into a vehicle. The citizen retrieved a firearm and confronted the subjects. One of the subjects had stolen a firearm from the vehicle and the two exchanged gunshots. Deputy Hendricks and other deputies arrived on scene, confronted the subject who was wanted on a warrant for patrol violations. The man initially complied with commands, but then grabbed the handgun and opened fire, striking Deputy Hendricks. The other deputies returned fire and killed the subject. The second subject was apprehended. Deputy Hendricks served with the United States Marine Corps and has served with Henderson County Sheriffs for eight years. He is survived by his wife and two children. Deputy Sheriff Ryan Phillips Hendricks, Henderson County Sheriff's Office, North Carolina. End of watch Thursday, September 10th, 2020. May they rest in peace. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, here on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Randy Sutton. A couple things. If you want to contact me, go to Facebook, the voice of American law enforcement. On Twitter, I'm at LT Randy Sutton. I look forward to hearing from you. And remember to support the men and women of the law enforcement profession by going to www.thewoundedblue.org and help any way you can. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.